Welcome, everyone, to The Stacks. Uh, as always, this is Jay. And I'm Shanna. Uh, and this week, we are talking about Zatoichi, the Blind Swordsman, uh, and the Flesh and the Fiends. Uh, I have an error from last week, just to very quickly go over, uh, just that I, I did confirm, went back, uh, and uh, I was incorrect about who the final girl was with uh, the Friday the 13th remake we were discussing last week. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, it, it really goes to show just how little it matters and how interchangeable the characters are. Like, they look I, the I could, same. Yeah, I, I didn't even know what happened at the end, and it didn't really matter. I've seen the movie a couple times. <laughs> he comes up and gets someone. Yeah, that's all it really It doesn't is. matter who. Another person dies. Jason kills. This is what this is all you really want. What's the point of the series? Uh, so our movie this week is a different uh, remake slash reboot of a classic series, uh, sort of of a different type. Uh, so we watched Zatoichi, the 2003 version, also known as Zatoichi, the Blind Swordsman, directed by Takeshi Kitano, or uh, probably best known as Beat Takeshi. And was this the one that was brought over here by Quentin Tarantino? I think probably. Uh, I, know I know it's one of those that was, was distributed by Miramax. Uh, and a lot of the stuff that they distributed from Asian cinema are because... Uh, people who they worked with wanted them to distribute that stuff. And like a lot of Tarantino's favorite stuff from abroad was brought over for that. Okay. Um, yeah, because uh, this, mo- this movie was crazy. This is, uh, as you may recall, we uh, did the very first Zatoichi in our very first episode. And this movie isn't like that. No, this movie is a very different beast. Um, a much louder much much more violent like this is oh, a much, much more, more violent, violent version of zatoichi himself mm-hmm. uh, like right from the opening in fact <laughs> yes right right at the beginning i was expecting well do we want to get into it let's get yeah uh... of course. please all right so we open with zatoichi just sitting in a field and some thugs interchangeable thugs from uh like if you had told me they were the exact same thugs as the first movie i'd believe you i don't know any better they look the same they're dressed the same they're just as they're just as shitty as we're about to find out they're very uh, similar he, I, and, and very this is similar. kind of a similar setting uh this whole series or this whole film feels like it's drawing upon characters and settings throughout the original Zatoichi series. So we have a lot of stuff from the beginning, but we also have a lot of the weirder elements of the more psychedelic and strange later Zatoichi films. <laughs> yeah, we do. <laughs> uh, so, so, so the dead meat tells this little kid, it's like, Hey, go take that blind man's cane and I'll give you a bunch of money. Yeah. So he's just, takes... Ichi's just kind of sitting on a rock near the side of the road. Just As chill. he does sometimes. Just sort of completely blank. There, there's no reason to what he's doing. We, we don't get much of the inner life of Zatoichi where we kind of do in the other ones. We, we saw, like uh, in Tale of Zatoichi, for instance, we got a lot more about what he was thinking, where he's a little bit more of a mystery in this. Mm-hmm. In this, he's more like, 
the story's less about him and he's just the ringer. Yeah, it's, it's more a story about all of the people that he's helping. Like it's mm-hmm. it's sort of a whole bunch of different samurai character samurai movie types who have all sort of been brought together around him in this version. Yeah, there's a lot of moving pieces in this uh, in this story. Uh, so the group of thugs get a child to uh, take his cane away. And and this next part I had happened so fast that I actually had to stop it, uh, rewind it in slow motion just to see what happened. Uh, the thug with Zadoichi's cane, which of course we know was a cane sword. Yes. Uh, there is a movie titled that. that Zadoichi and his cane sword. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Uh, Thug goes up to him and is like, ha ha, you got outsmarted by a kid, the great blind swordsman. And then Zedoichi kicks him in the ankle, like breaking his ankle, grabs destroying his, his ankle. Oh yeah, destroying it. But it's, this happens so fast, it's like two frames. Grabs the dude's, grabs his sword out of the dude's hand and slashes him and his buddy with it and then just goes and kills everyone. The, Except for the kid. Well, of course. The kid, the kid he doesn't, just, he's not going to kill the kid. No. Uh, it's just a kid. The CGI sword and blood in this does make for a lot of really fast slashing, although sometimes it's a little extra cartoony. A little bit. Like, Especially like when you get some of the blood sprays later on. Just huge, ridiculous blood sprays. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and and you get a lot of it right here at the start. It kind of lets you know what you're in for, basically. Yeah, Zadoichi is a lot older. Is he the same actor? He feels like he could be the same actor, but I didn't know that this is check. Beat Takeshi. This is Takeshi Katana. Well, that's Beat Takeshi? Yeah, that's him. Oh, shit. <laughs> I didn't recognize him. Oh, yeah. man, he just disappeared into that role. He's great. Wow. So. We we are next introduced to the Naruto sisters. <laughs> I'm not going to make the joke. Who who are killing Haihachi uh, in in this introduction of them? Uh, we we learn much later on who Haihachi is to them, but we just see them uh, posing as geishas and killing him. And this is one of the first times we get a really cartoony blood spray. Yeah, she uh, she take she strangles him with the. The strings from her, um, oh, I'm going to screw this up. Instrument. There, can't <laughs> screw that up. Uh, I believe it's a shakuhachi. I was going to call it a shamisen, but I, I know it, that's not it, right. It could be a shamisen. I'm not I, totally sure. It's a shamisen or a shakuhachi, I believe. Yeah, she strangles him with that. And the other girl, <laughs> I love the other one. Uh, what does she do? Uh, anyway, they die. Uh, one of them comes in with a sword and there's just a really big upward spray of blood that's like quite cartoony it's like a wavy flow of blood it was pretty funny Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it's it's one of the more notably cartoony drawn ones like it looks like cartoon blood in a way and it's at this point we also see our this movie's enemy samurai walk by Right, with the Ginzo um, gang. Yeah, well, th- I really like this sequence because we're seeing we're seeing her the Geisha sisters killing 
killing the guy, and then it just cuts to them sitting at this uh, rest stop. And then we see the samurai, and then it cuts to him killing a bunch of people. Mm-hmm. And it cuts back to him just walking by this rest stop, and I'm like, how many more of these people at this rest stop are going to be murderers? And it turns out quite a few. Yeah, it's it's a whole murderer hangout. But nobody murders each other at the rest stop. No, I mean, like this is just where they all got to meet. Mm-hmm. They, they got to rest from killing at the rest stop. And yeah, they've all got like their own different uh, past. None of them knows who each other is at this point. No, and I, I feel like some of them never really end up like we, we have our sort of rival samurai who's not a bad guy or a ronin rather um, who isn't necessarily a bad guy, but he ends up working for the bad guy. Uh, and while we sort of get his backstory ourselves, uh, no one on our like our good guy side ever gets that because he's just sort of never crossing over with them. He never gets to have a conversation or hang out with them. He, yeah, he doesn't go for drinks with Zatoichi. And there was a point where they set up where I thought that they might, but nope, that doesn't happen. No, they are in the bar. They're in the sake bar together, and it seems like they're going to, but then things go in a different direction. Which is interesting. I feel like that's kind of a commentary almost that this is a guy who, as a character, he seems relatively sympathetic, but we don't really get a whole great idea of his whole history. We just know that he's. Uh, so this is Hattori that I'm talking about, who's yeah. with uh, a sick lady, his his wife. Who, I, I don't know. I guess she has probably consumption. Yeah, yeah. And he's offering his services as a bodyguard to pay for her medicine, I guess. Mm-hmm. And she's not uh, cool with that. Yeah. A lot of the backstory in this isn't told. You just have to figure it out from how the characters talk to each other. It's really cool. Yeah. Well, I, and I think a lot of it's because a lot of them do reference previous characters or types of characters that you saw a lot of in the original series. So they're all sort of riffing on existing uh, types within the series and just sort yeah, of bringing this... a lot more of them together in one place than you might normally. Mm-hmm. Like this rival samurai, similar but different to the one in the uh, in the first Zatoichi movie. Yeah, kind of a, the same kind of guy, except this is this one didn't get to spend time with Zatoichi and become fully sympathetic. Right, because he, he wasn't the one who was sick. He had someone else who was sick to take care of, and he's like, I'll kill anyone for her. Whereas right. the other guy uh, would be like, well, I'm dying anyway. Let's. Uh, I lost my train of thought. True, and, and like her thing is but she yeah, doesn't this, want this him guy. doing it. No, uh, she hates that he's doing it. Yeah, she doesn't like him having to kill for or commit violence to help her. It's it's not something that she's cool with. Although that we get that just a little bit later, because first we have uh, the rhythm of the field workers, which is really cool. A recurring motif in the film where we see these people hacking away at the mud of the field in these. Oh, rhythms. my God. In the in this to the background of the music or to the beat of the music that's going on in the background and i was i had just finished my joint at that point and i was like i am into this movie and we're now at what like the 50 second mark it's pretty early on and like that that stuff i i really like the way they sort of weave that through the movie and 
they'll have all of these periodic sections where it will become heavily rhythmic and you'll get a lot of uh like not only the rhythm of the field workers but you'll get like the rain you'll get people splashing in puddles you'll get the people walking by uh like it it all sort Mm -hmm. of works into the same rhythm the the score for this is great Mm -hmm. and It's it's really good it feels like a musical for the most part, and or almost a dance movie. It's uh, all based around rhythms and dances, and like the ending uh, does have a big dance climax. <laughs> I'm so happy that it ended with a like a dance number. It's a huge dance number. It's it's huge. Like yeah, I was like, okay, they, this is great. They have to build a special stage for it. <laughs> which also is a musical sequence itself yes it is it's so good i love it oh my gosh it's super cool yeah uh, so we see at the rest like when we meet everyone at the rest up we also get introduced to the ginzo gang who are shaking people down for protection money our fodder of the week gang of course although there's a couple different gangs here there's, there's a few different rival gangs uh but they're all bad Oh, yes. uh, which is always As the case. Usual. It's just usually we'll have one that kind of seems like pretend that it's sort of good at first. This one, that never happens. We never have a pretend good gang. <laughs> no, that's true. Uh, and also Ichi meets this lady and helps carry her vegetables uh, after she's harassed by the Ginzos. Uh, and it's her who he goes to stay with and he learns about the gang and everything going on in the city while he gives her a massage. Right. And I liked this scene because it looked like the, the framing a fake of out. the shot. Yeah. Yes. I was just about to I even have uh, written down in my notes sex arrow massage fake out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like it looks like they're having sex and then the camera pans down and is like, no, he's giving her a massage. It looks and sounds like they're having sex. Uh and it's this oh, shot yeah. from super super weird overhead and like through the the ceiling light the fixture Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. shot in just a way that it that it obscures what you're really seeing and then the camera pans and yeah yeah it was a good fake out yeah it's it's a strange movie in that it's not quite the style of the Zatoichi films it has a lot of elements from them and it's definitely a pastiche of them but it's almost like a comedic pastiche or riff on the series uh kind of like the oss films with uh the guy from the artist i cannot remember his name you you've seen those uh the oss oh, yeah. seven movies oh, yes it, it kind of has that sort of feel like like not as satirical like it isn't a parody of zatoichi it's much more uh it's it's more in keeping with just the weirder entries of the series, but it definitely feels like it's a little bit gently comedic towards it. I did kind of get that. It, it didn't, especially with the very ending stuff. Well, we'll get yeah. to when we get to, but yeah, yeah. Like I'll, I know a lot of people really hate the ending of this and and feel like it's kind of just a. Uh, offensive to the series or something, but I don't know. I, I get the, I get the gag. It's, it's silly. I, I liked the ending. Yeah. We, again, we, we will get to that. Yeah. We get yes, there. we will. Uh, so Hattori 
goes to the local sake bar where the he encounters the gang shaking the bar down for protection money. Which in hindsight is hilarious. Right. We'll get it's, into why. It's it's weird. Uh, and he goes up and he slices a bottle of sake oh. in half. So he slices a bottle of sake in half, basically as a demonstration of his power. He's trying to get them to hire him, basically. But it looks like he's tr- at first, like he's trying to defend the bar, and he's as another fake out. Well, doesn't he even say that he's looking for work as a bodyguard? And they're after, like, after I he thought he slashes the sake. Oh, okay. I thought he initially said it right away, and then they were turning him down or were uninterested, and then he does the thing. But yeah, either way, like quite quickly, he's like looking for a job, and they come back with their boss and hire him immediately. The boss's voice is so cool. It's a very strange voice. It's it's a very anime voice. I I should look up who he is and what he, if he's been in anything I know because I've definitely heard his voice in anime and in video games or something totally possible it's a very anime villain voice this movie is from 2003 so he's probably in a lot of modern stuff oh yeah and the boss isn't intimidated by the samurai but he recognizes like yeah okay this guy's this guy's worth the money yeah this guy's clearly legit uh, so we go back to we, – we see a bit of stuff with Ichi on, and the lady who he's staying with. I never caught her name somehow. Uh, I, I thought of her as Shinkichi's, Shinkichi's aunt because yeah, I, she starts talking to him right here about her nephew who's a gambling addict. And he hooks up with that guy, and that guy's kind of just his second guy for the rest of the movie. He He's the funny assistant. He's the comic relief. Well, there's a few, but he's the comic relief. There's a lot the of comic, comic relief. relief. I, I feel like almost every character is at least a little bit comic. Like most of them other than um, Hattori. Hattori isn't really ever comic, but everybody else kind of has comedic moments. I, I would say that Shinkichi is by far the most comedic, though, because he's constantly comedic. Yeah, like that, that's the point of his character. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we also have uh, the mentally ill neighbor who is always running around the house with a spear. Oh, yeah. I I thought I really thought that that was a Chekhov spear right there, that uh, he was going to kill or get killed at some point somehow. It really does seem like at some point there he, he's going to be like triggered to come run around and spear somebody. Right. But no, it's just nope. a thing. It's just color. Just some yep, flavor. He's just there. <laughs> just one of the people in this town. Uh, but of, or not of even course, town. It's like a yeah. Yeah, I, I guess I it guess is just a, a little town. We don't see any big establishing shots like we would normally get. I guess. Right, because we we only have the big field is is when we have the big open shot is when we see the field and the path into town. We never really see a shot of the town. No, we don't. But. Uh... We yeah we know it's it's probably just a pretty small farming village but mm-hmm. that uh, so I I guess this Ginzo gang must run a few towns or something because it feels like the the Ginzo gang kind of feels like overkill for a tiny farming village yeah and because then the Ginzo gang we find out is actually pretty competent on top 
but there's Their also minions, maybe not. There's also even another gang, so clearly there's like multiple yeah, so gangs. Yes, this has here. to be so, a decent yeah. sized town. I, I feel like it's not that tiny of a town. It's just, you know, maybe it's it's entirely just a budget thing. You know, it, it, this was 2003. We're kind of in the CG era. You know, they're doing oh. this, the sword and blood with CG. We're not going to build a whole, uh, you know, 16th century town or something. Yeah, I guess that that makes sense. Um, so the lady is telling ichi about her gambling addict nephew when he wants to go gamble in town uh and he leaves and who he encounters instead are these two idiots testing a sword who that they that they are going to be giving as a gift to some noble guy oh yeah (laughs) it's like test the sword just go kill that blind man it'll be fine just go kill this random wandering blind guy i'm like really (laughs) (laughs) like (laughs) here you go here you go lord master sir i've i've tested it on a blind man it definitely cuts people you killed a blind man with this Uh, of course obviously obviously they don't because he just destroys the sword (laughs) Yeah, but what did he think would happen? I mean, I kill a blind man and then. I I think the idea was they they wanted to make sure that it's constructed well enough that they could slash someone with it and it's not going to break. Yeah, I know, but anyway, it doesn't matter. These guys are idiots. They are idiots, obviously, and they are clearly idiots in the conversation. Like we're we're introduced to them being buffoons. Uh, I I guess. Ichi does not kill them for this. So you, you'd you kind of figure this version of Ichi would. Yeah, yeah. It's weird who he decides to kill and not kill. Because he has a massacre later on. Oh, yeah, that shocked me. When a full-on massacre. I, I was quite mm-hmm. surprised by that. Um, but meantime, like, I guess maybe this is sort of in a contrast because instead we see Hattori assassinating someone here. Who he's oh, been yeah. hired to assassinate. Someone who's part of the Ogi clan, I believe. No, Ogi is working with Ginzo. Ogi is the not the the less competent of the leader of the Ginzo. Yes, he clan. is the dumb guy, absolutely. But so But the Kuchikawa clan, I think, is the rivals. Uh, Kuchinawa. Kuchinawa, that's it. But um I I, I can't. He he either says that it's regards of Mr. Ogi or something when he assassinates them. Oh, that's what it was. Mr. Ogi sends his regards. Maybe that's what it was. Okay. Yeah, because he uh, let the one guy live. Hmm. But and, yeah, and he this is, kills them pretty brutally and efficiently. Yeah, he killed the driver. Like, he killed the driver, and he killed the guy who's just like in the sedan car. Um, and this is where he does meet Ichi at the sake bar briefly mm-hmm. yeah uh, ichi's at the bar he's at the bar they're the only people at the bar and you have this uh the bartender who seems like this lazy asshole and this old old ancient hunched over grandpa who has to do all the work mm-hmm. necessarily um, which does seem like a, a classic zatoichi setup where you have one put upon person who has to do everything Usually an old person, very old person. Yeah. I, I think I remember there being a character like that in the first one, too. Yeah, I think that's very likely. But like everything else, this is a little different. 
Of course. Uh, and so, I think this is also where we get like a brief uh, cutaway to the house of Ogi, and he seems to be very nice the very first time we meet him. He's like getting money to give to a small child for candy or something. Yeah, that's right. He was like, go oh, run along, get some candy or something. But like him being nice really doesn't pan out for very long. It's it's not like something they try to pretend for a long time that he's like a good guy. No, no, he can see right away. He's he's a he's a bastard. Uh, so like, what exactly happens with Ichi and and Hattori uh, at the bar? Do they have any sort of encounter? Like, I I know it's I think it's the only time they meet until the conclusion. Who the Ichi and the samurai? Yeah, I feel like they're just um, sort of on different paths for most of the movie. Yeah, they. This is like the only time they actually directly interact, right? Yeah, this is the only time. Um, and it's just a really brief, they draw their swords, but they're like really close to each other and they kind of hold them against each other. And right. It almost looks like, like a stalemate, but, and then Ichi's like, it's too crowded in here. Let's go outside. And then that's it. That's the end of that. Right. And then they, they just leave. They're just like, eh. <laughs> Uh, and we do get a flashback around here of Hattori's background. Uh, we we get this flashback of him training with this guy Yamaji, who's just an asshole, uh, oh, who's really into brutal. beating people with sticks. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yeah, he he is he is brutal. He 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 does everything that uh, you you expect an evil training bastard samurai to do. Right. And he is living in this town now. So Hattori has like caught up with him to go get revenge, but he's just like a sad invalid now. Yep. And Hattori's like uh, thinking about whether or not to kill him. And in the end, he uh, slices in half his wooden stick that the guy beat him with. Right. Or, or no, it was his sword, but in the sheath because he kept it in the I'm, I think. I think it is just a, I think it was just a wooden stick. And like he, he had talked about how, like in, in the flashback, the guy talks about how a uh, real man, a real fight is with a real sword uh, and that uh, he would never use a wooden stick instead of a sword in a real fight and or something like that. And how he would always have a real sword and, and not fight with a wooden stick. But clearly at this point, all he has is the wooden stick and, I, I, I feel like it's sort of a symbolic thing that like he, he cuts it in half and now he like he has nothing. Yeah, well, that's even what he says to the girls. Like, I didn't kill him. Uh, I just made it so that he has nothing left or something like that. Yeah, something like Well, I, I think just generally that he clearly already had nothing like he was. Yeah. And he was sort of destroyed. Uh, he had destroyed himself probably with drink, I think, oh, is probably. the implication. We get some gambling scenes, always a necessity in uh, a Zatoichi film, with Ichi and the nephew winning some money. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was surprised at how long we ended up following the nephew after this, because I yeah. didn't realize that he was the nephew of the aunt. I didn't make that connection at the time. Oh, I see. So I thought he was just some schlub that he met. Right. And it's like, uh, well, we're spending a lot of time with this schlub. Oh, well, he's fun. 
Right, and they meet up with uh, the Naruto sisters here, uh, and because they've made a bunch of money, they decide to hire them and head over to a motel, or to yep. just like whatever the the Gesha place. Yeah, whatever that is, I don't actually know how that works. I feel like it's just a rooming house of some sort. It must be because like they don't work there; they're they yeah, were they're hired there. Yeah. Well, anyway, they end up going there. And I, I oh that's right I I love this part they look uh, when they meet Satoichi and Shinkichi they're like you seem like a winner and Shinkichi turns around just looking like this sad club <laughs> loser and I'm like <laughs> that's funny they yeah the the Gesha are doing their performance and yeah so they, there's Osei and. I don't know the the other name. Yeah, me neither. The other one plays the shakuhuchi or shamisen, and Osei dances. Yeah, yeah. So at this, so I think at the end of the performance, that's when they decide they're going to rob these people, and Ichi's like, "Hey, how come you cut the strings of your thing and pulled out a knife out of there?" Mm-hmm. That's that's not real nice. And then it's like a tense few minutes, and then they decide to tell tell their backstory. Right. So the two of them are children of a wealthy rice merchant, uh, and their their whole family was massacred by this Haihachi, who we saw earlier, as well as an as an unspecified several others. We know someone named uh, what were the names that they Inosuke. Inosuke was one of them. Inosuke and I, I don't remember, remember what the, the other, other one was. but it's it, there there are these two people and they figure that both of them are probably in this town under different names yeah they they saw a snake tattoo at one point in the flashback right. so yeah it, and it, so yeah these ninjas killed the whole family while they were hiding under the floorboards and then we see right and they were oh no we don't is, see their flashback yet right and this is when like, they were they're very, learning this is when they were very young, so they were yes. like like 10 or 11 at this time. Something uh, like that, yeah. So uh, we, we just kind of are introduced to them there, and then they, they all go their separate ways, and we have uh, them both kind of working on their separate plans for a bit. So we have uh, Shinkichi trying to learn how to gamble like Ichi, it's so funny because he's like, if I just close my eyes at the first time he like hits himself on something and <laughs> well, and it, it's really him, funny. Yeah, it, it's him convincing himself that he can hear the difference between odd and even in the way the dice roll uh, and it obviously not working out. Uh, it, but it, like it's a pretty long runner, like we spend a while with him feeling that he's done it because he guesses right a few times in a row he's like oh 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 it's working while we have while this is happening like he's in the foreground of the shot we have itchy and the girls in the background oh at this point we've learned that one of the girls is actually a boy dressed up as a geisha he's my favorite oh say yes he's my favorite he's he's the prettier one (laughs) (laughs) right like pretty obviously the prettier one and it, it it's like there are times where it seems like uh the other one whose name i really don't have here uh is kind of 
uh, almost seems resentful like of it. Yeah, she seems a little resentful of it at times. Maybe, but like nobody ever says it. That, no, that's another it one of those things you got to pick out. up. But it's one of those things like there, it's it's with looks, and at certain times she definitely does seem to be uh, resentful of just sort of the the situation that they're in. Uh, and it's around here. It's a little after this that we get their history. We can sort of go into that now, because it's it's a basically here because we're sort of in that middle period where our characters have met, and there's just sort of a lot of backstory to get between. Oh, oh no, they they do the backstory at the aunt's house, but they go to the aunt's house because of what happens in the gambling parlor. We jumped ahead a little bit. Uh, right, because we had jumped ahead to where they're at the aunt's house, but before they're at the aunt's house, uh, we got Shinkichi actually trying his new tricks in the gambling parlor, and then Zatoichi comes to, I guess, check up on him? No, I've got, uh, I still don't have that right. No, so so there's a whole section in the middle here where there everybody's just sort of doing all of these different things, and there's it doesn't really matter the sequence. It really doesn't make any I guess difference it because no, it's just a whole bunch really of shit happening. All we're really doing is learning about everybody. So what we do have first, like we have Shinkichi trying to learn how to gamble like Ichi. We have him do dropping the stuff in the cup, and then we have him go test it out. He goes and tries, and he uh, gambles all of his money big. Uh, and he immediately loses everything and walks away. <laughs> yes. yes. Like there, does. there isn't a, like no, no one else really comes to to stop him or save him. He has to learn the lesson himself. Uh, and they're they're kind of just laughing at him in the background the whole time that he's doing this. But this is where they are sort of talking about their history with uh, the aunt and Ichi around the same time. Uh, but someone, uh, the the sisters are hired by Ogi. Right, uh, to impress this Lord Sakai, who we don't really learn a whole lot about him. No, and this is parallel to the time that the, and Ichi goes to uh, gamble at the same time that they're hired by Ogi. So this is a parallel thing happening at the same time where um, Ichi... Right. They, they try to cheat Ichi at the gambling palace... Uh, and he just full on murders He's everybody in the none place. Of it. Yeah, no, like it's it's very different from the previous one where you know he kind of gently deals with them trying to cheat him. This one they try to cheat him and he immediately throws down uh, and slays everybody in the place. He chopped off the guy's hand. It's like, why do these dice sound different? Chop hand. Yeah, just boom. Hand chop, like, and it does reveal these fixed dice that they're using, and then he just murders the whole place. Uh, and someone runs off to get Hattori to deal with this, uh, but by the time he gets back, everybody's already dead, mm. and Ichi's gone. Which this is a much more violent version of Zatoichi. Yeah, yeah. Like, the... It's it's very hard to imagine the Zatoichi of Tale of Zatoichi doing this. Yeah, exactly. This <laughs> that caught me by surprise. I'm like, whoa, okay. What is he? Why is does he know that these guys are all evil? I mean, I guess they run a gambling house and they're a bunch of yakuza scums, so he does know that they're evil. I mean, I guess so, right? I, I guess that's sort of the point. Cheat. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. Okay. All right. 
it's, it's, and they do actually work for the bad guys, so I guess it's okay. Maybe. Well, that's sort of the weird thing in these movies is that uh, it's it's just like anybody who works for the boss is evil, and everybody else is just a victim. <laughs> and and that's sort of like I I guess it's just more pronounced here than it is in the old ones where you would have a little bit more crossover between the two. Mm-hmm. Uh, and meanwhile, Ogi's guest, the Lord Sakai, tries to take Ose uh, to another room. Uh, so they have to knock Ogi out and take off. Um, sorry, they, they knock Ogi out. And what do they do with Lord Sakai? They don't kill him. They don't seem to. I like. I feel like they just knock him out, too. Like I, again, it's it's a week since I watched it. You watched it earlier today. Yeah, that's I know, right? Is oh what God. I'm talking about? Yeah. Um. So they, yeah, they don't kill him. I I don't think they were. I they don't definitely think they quite don't... knew who they had, who they were being hired by, or or did they? Oh shoot. Well, they are aware that he's the boss. Like they do know that he's the local boss, and they are suspicious that he might be someone who was involved in the massacre but they're not sure and they do see the snake tattoo here yes uh, when when they're uh when they knock the guy out uh and are taking off but this is where everybody ends up at the aunt's place because just everybody's wanted now everybody uh has someone after them Mm -hmm. and uh this i think is this where we find where we first meet the secret evil boss. Yeah. And, and we get kind of the idea that the Ginzo boss is looking to overthrow their rivals. And ultimately they don't really care about dealing with Ichi that much because this gang shit is just much more of a priority for them. Like there's clearly more (laughs) important stuff going down for them. So like, even though Ichi has just slain an entire gambling den, they're like, this is a smaller issue than uh, the gang thing that we're dealing with. Yeah, yeah. Um, Also, they probably think their samurai can just take out Ichi and that'll be that. Right. Uh, And this this is where we are are led to believe that Ogi might be this Kuchinawa, uh, because Kuchinawa is... Uh, a rotten rope and and that would refer to the snake tattoo right yes uh, i also really like a moment here where they're all just kind of hanging out and ichi paints eyes on his eyelids <laughs> right uh, there was a reason i think that was like to sneak them into something yes <laughs> um but it ends up just being a silly visual gag but it was pretty funny uh, we get um, a big duel in a heavy rainfall with Ichi just demolishing eight people <laughs> somewhere yeah. around here when, when yeah, they come right. to the house the first time. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, there or wasn't there wasn't that a flashback with Ichi? Because uh, I know there was also a big rainfall flashback where when he's done, like the whole ground is red. Yeah, I think that's probably the one. The thing is, the editing in the movie is very fragmentary, and it's never entirely clear what's happening now, now, and what is a flashback because there's a lot of things. Yeah, that, they don't they don't exactly do the doodly do doodly do doodly do. 
No, and they'll just sort of cut into flashbacks and cut back to current quite often. And it'll sort of be depending on whichever character is thinking about things. It's sort of a novel approach, like like in terms of like the way a novel is structured, where you get the inner thoughts of a character and it might move into their flashbacks. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, they like kind of like what they did at the very beginning when the samurai and the geisha were just just being introduced this is kind of like that like you'll see a close-up on say the sister's face and then you'll see a little bit of her training her brother how to dance right and we get like a whole history for them in particular uh which it's like i i feel like initially he's being groomed by a pedophile before he ends up actually working as a geisha he he was um yeah he he was the after after their family got killed they were mm-hmm. taken in by this guy who was a pedophile um and wanted to he was creepy with the brother and right, then they left there i think right but they left and what he ended up doing is still becoming a geisha and sort of becoming great at it yeah getting money that way because well he's 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 the prettier one he is it's it's the skill he has and he's Mm -hmm. he's beautiful he can dance uh so he, he just sort of became good at all of those things and she became good at playing guitar or playing shamisen or whatever uh i think it's a shakuhuchi because of the thing you use to strike the strings i could be wrong uh we also see around here hattori taking out that rival gang they basically just get hattori to go take out their rivals entirely which he does very efficiently quite efficiently they did not stand a single chance uh they had their own samurai but he sucks right we were introduced to this guy who looked like he was going to be the evil bad guy samurai that we might have to deal with at some point and he just goes down real easy to a tori uh, i don't think he ever even meets uh zaruichi no not at all i don't think we learn his name nope he he was not important to our main plot he he was a subplot for one of our sub characters <laughs> yep uh there's this interesting there's the old fisherman guy who has just completely figured everything out for everyone. And we, we have a bit where one of the bosses is just talking to this old fisherman guy by a pond, right? Oh yes. That's, that's the secret boss. Cause we yeah. don't see his face at this point. Mm-hmm. And he's already figured everything out. He knows about Zatoichi. He knows about, uh, the Naruto's. He, uh, gets, what all of the other bosses deals are and who everyone is. Yeah. He he's clearly the one behind everything. Yeah. This or at least that's what or at least the one planning it all. Anyway, he's important. Mm-hmm. This old fisherman whose face we don't get to see. Yeah, and we don't really know who he relates to or what his deal is. Just know that he knows everything. Just kind of interesting. Uh we get a big comedic training sequence, Shinkichi. Learning how to oh fight. yeah <laughs> it's so good they just he, he he starts choreographing these teenagers after they whack him with their sticks a few times and then they just start whacking him with their sticks again that was great 
Like he, they, they get into just the perfect rhythm where he can't block any of them. It's very funny. <laughs> uh, he, he at one point takes a bath with uh, Ose, and it's like, no, it's the men first. And Ose's like, I'm a man, so he's bathing with his makeup on, across from Shikichi in like this tiny little bathtub, and he's like, so that makeup makes you look really beautiful. Can anyone do it? Is like, not just anyone can. Depends on depends on the face, and then and then you can just see Shinkichi with this sad look, and just a single teardrop falls from his eye. (laughs) But he decides to try out this makeup stuff anyway. Hey, go for it, Shinkichi. Go for it. He he still gives it a a good old try. Um, And you know what? For a first attempt, it's not too bad. It's not too bad. I mean, it's Uh, it's not good, but you know, it's his first time, and no one's guiding him through it, so he he does all right. Yeah, for for comedic relief, he does pretty well. Um, so the Naruto's get high. Are they? Is it? Do they decide to apologize to Ogi, or does someone send someone to talk to them? He, they want to apologize. They want like, to, oh, okay, right. Or they that's what they say, anyways. It's like, oh, yeah. we were rude to Mister Ogi. We want to apologize. Although, and that's we know that they, that's. Go ahead. That's their trap. Well, that's their trap, but they are don't know that it's a trap on the other end as well. Like they're already yeah, waiting for them. Yeah, because it's not Ogi and uh, this Lord; it's Ogi and uh, the Ginzo boss, mm-hmm. the the scary voice guy. Right, and while both both the Naruto's and Ichi are out, because Ichi goes out to just I don't know, does he go out to just walk around? I feel like I think he goes out to walk around. As he uh, sometimes does. Yeah, and the Ginza gang show up and burn down the aunt's house. They let the aunt and Shinkichi out of the house first, though. Fortunately, I thought yes. that was. I was like, wow, that's uncharacteristically nice of this gang. Yeah, I mean, I guess they're not. Uh, like, but they do burn down the whole house. Well, I I believe they're. Their initial suspicion is that they're hiding in the house, so they're going to burn it down to make sure that they're flushed out if they are hiding there. Right. So this is also when we learn that the Ginzo boss was uh, the Inosuke was was Inosuke, yeah, uh, and that he was one of the bandits who murdered the Naruto's, and he's obviously on to the sisters. Uh, but of course, Ichi shows up to help once they're cornered, uh, and then we and have kind of the big conclusion fight. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, what? Ha- a, a lot happens here. So, like, Ichi shows up and he just kind of starts massacring everybody in the house. Uh, Hatori is sent for in the middle of it, but by the time he gets there everybody's gone already much like with the gambling house except now you know his his whole his bosses have been killed so he has to have the final showdown yeah and meanwhile we see hattori's uh wife or girlfriend uh preparing uh getting on like her best outfit and everything and then pulls out a dagger and it's like oh i know what this is she's Uh, gonna kill herself uh, and and indeed she does. Uh, at the same time, we see Hattori have a beach duel by moonlight with Ichi, which was a very, uh, very nice looking sequence. Very nice. Ichi kicks his ass. 
Yeah, uh, although we get to see Hattori have a fantasy of winning first. Oh, no, you're right. Which because, was kind of fun. Uh, yeah, we we have Hattori... a whole fantasy ver- vision of him winning, and then very immediately we see the real thing, and he dies instantly. It's it's because Ichi changed... I forgot about that scene. I'm glad you brought it up. Uh, yeah, he imagines exactly how he's going to win, but then Ichi changes his grip, and then it goes completely different. Yeah. But he still gets Ichi a little bit, though, doesn't he? Yeah, he, he gives him a cut on the shoulder, I think. Yeah, but he he dies, and he dies very quickly. Yeah, it's it's there, it's just a single slash. Mm-hmm. That, that's it. Uh, and that's pretty much the main conclusion, and we get, like, the stage building, and everyone's building a festival, but then Ichi is attacked by a few ninjas. And we realize that then this is when he goes after the remaining, uh, the Kuchinawa bosses. Oh, yeah, right, right. <laughs> um, so is Inosuke killed off screen? Because I don't remember him actually dying, but he's dead. I, I believe so. Uh, I, I think it probably, I think it happens like right when Ichi shows up, when uh, the, the Ginzos have the Naruto's cornered. Uh, and they, right. I think they just kind of all go into that room and I, I believe we just see swords and blood <laughs> flying. You know, I think that's what it was. <laughs> Something like that. Uh, but here we, we get, you know, Ichi taking out the ninjas. Uh, and then we get this very weird sequence where he, where Ichi opens his eyes <laughs> yeah, yeah. He opens his eyes to confront the the real leader of the Kuchinawas, who it turns out is the tavern owner. Uh, yeah, the the just meek, simple tavern owner guy from earlier. Yeah. So uh, he says all this stuff, and he's got his eyes open, and the guys like, "What? If you can see, why do you pretend to be blind?" Because this way I can, it makes it easier to sense a man's heart or something like that. Yeah. And then and he, he kills the guy. He kills the guy. And then there's the other boss as well. The the real boss, who was the hunched over old man from the tavern. The double secret boss. Uh, the and double he, secret boss. And he blinds him. Yeah, he, he blinds him. Um, this, we're still cutting every now and again to like building the festival and stuff. Right, and then uh, after he blinds him, we get just the giant final dance sequence, which is so cool. Yep, it's 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 long. It's actually very long. We get uh, the the Naruto kids uh, dancing, uh, Shikichi's dancing, Spear guy is dancing, the teenagers. Yeah, we get uh, the only much... one not there is Zatoichi. Yeah, we get everybody who survived, uh, and also the the child versions of characters. It's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but Ichi yeah. is just kind of leaving town, walking away. Oh, I love this part because they they revealed this whole thing that just blew my mind that Zatoichi could see the whole time, and and he was faking it for fifty years, and then <laughs> and then he trips and falls and says, "Even with my eyes open, I can't see a thing." Cut to credits. Yeah, because it was just a gag. Like he he was he was just faking the guy out and was like, 
look, I can open up my eyes. Look, I'm I'm seeing. Can you see me? It's like you could see this whole time. Like, sure. <laughs> yeah, I definitely could. Oh, it's so definitely good. what's happening. This it's movie fun. is a trip. I it's love this trip. movie. It's very silly at times. It's a lot goofier than the original Zatoichi movies. It's more of a comedy. It kind of, yeah. But like a very violent comedy because it's extremely bloody too. Oh, and and my favorite part, we learned that now that Osei can go back to living a, as a man, he doesn't want to. Yeah, that's my favorite part. He's happy being pretty. <laughs> I love him. He's my favorite. I thought you would. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a it's a really fun movie. I love how much it's a musical. Like that's probably my favorite thing about it is all of these rhythm sequences where. Yeah. You just get sounds all kind of getting into the score. It's great. And then kind of like a low key baby driver. Sort of. And just like the huge dance sequence that it builds to at the end. Like it's this thread that's going all the way through it. And then it has its own big payoff uh, parallel to the big action sequence payoff. And I think that's really cool. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It has. It has a definitely a less bittersweet ending than the previous or the first Satoichi film that I saw. Yeah, this is, and it's, this is a more unambiguously happy ending. And it's funny because it's so much more violent yeah. <laughs> too. Like it's a gruesome one, and and Ichi is uh, a much meaner version of Ichi, but it is a well, much more unambiguously happy one. I guess that's also just more of a modern filmmaking thing too. Well, yeah, probably. That it could very well be that, but yeah, like this Ishii, I figure he's been wandering around dealing with the same damn thugs for what, like 50, 60 years now. Could be. Like after a while, you just get tired of talking to him. It's just like, oh my god, more thugs with the you all have the same haircut. Die. Well, yeah, and like the the hundredth shitty gambling den that tries to cheat you for being a blind guy, right? It's like okay. <laughs> Screw you guys. You're all going down now. I guess after a while, you just get sick of it. Maybe so. It's pretty cool. I kind of get why Takeshi never did more of these, because people often ask him why he never did a follow-up to it. And he said, like, no, it's really not my thing. That's Katsu's thing. And uh, I'm not the person who plays Zatoichi. I just kind of wanted to play with the toys once. Yeah, he's really good. I liked him a lot in the role. Mm -hmm. Like, like he was good enough with like his actions and his facial expressions that I didn't recognize him. And I thought he was, I thought he might actually be the original guy. Yeah. yeah Although no. he'd probably be a lot older if he was. Yes. Uh, I, I do not believe Katsu is still with us. Oh, that's Sadly. a shame. I mean, he, he was an older guy and you know, the, that first movie was 1961, I believe that is yeah. six years ago. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> uh, so any final thoughts on Zatoichi, the Blind Swordsman, before we move on to our second film? Um, just that I want to watch more of these. Yeah, I wish there were more of these ones specifically, but I'm glad that we have the original ones to watch more of, at least. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you say that like this draws on some of the weirder aspects of the later ones, so I'm curious how that uh, Yeah, absolutely. How like, that there are... goes. 
there are other ones that have like musical sequences and that just do a lot of stranger things. There are ones with supernatural elements. They they do a lot of different stuff over the years as they uh, move forward with the series. Uh, all right, so I guess we'll move on to our next film, uh, The Flesh and the Fiends. <laughs> this this film is great. I have to say that right at the like, top. Right from the opening uh, non-disclaimer, where they're like, we make no apologies to the dead. It's all true. That was <laughs> it's great. basically like, sorry, not sorry. This is true. And if you don't like it, fuck you. Yeah, like we're we're not changing names to protect the dead because they do not deserve to be protected. Like I I like that as just a, a direct opening. Like no, we're we're going to be telling the truth this time. Uh, and that's yeah, this is based on a true story, isn't it? Yeah, so this well, is based. I say, isn't it? <laughs> I know it is. <laughs> this is based on the story of Burke and Hare, who were two serial killers active in Edinburgh in the 1820s. Uh, who killed a bunch of people and sold their bodies to the Edinburgh Medical Academy, uh, headed by a Dr. Knox, who is played by Peter Cushing in this, who's awesome. He's so good. He's very, he's just the right amount of charismatic, weaselly, but proper, and just the right amount of evil. Not too evil, but definitely not who you'd call good. Uh, yeah, and like they they do like for the makeup is actually really good. He's got one bad eye, so they have like one eyelid that droops all the time, and that's just makeup. Mm -hmm. It's very well done. It looks very real. It must have been extremely annoying to wear for the duration of the shoot. Um, so Burke and Hare in the 1820s, they like I, I guess we we would start with Doctor Knox, right? That, that's sort of where yeah. the movie begins. Yeah, the movie begins with Dr. Knox. Um, well, it actually begins with our two of our lovebirds who we don't care about. Oh, yeah. I mean, they they both end up dead, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the love story is... sucks. Well, the love story is kind of interesting because it's so bleak in that they both end up victims of Burke and Harris, like, separately. So, like, both of them are sort of based on real people in that... So we've got Mary Patterson is one of the real victims of Burke and Hare. Mm -hmm. uh, and she's sort of the main victim that we get to know in the movie. Uh, and then the the student that we meet is this Chris Jackson, who is a fictional character. Uh, there was no uh, character by this name. He He's entirely created for the movie, although... A Mary Patterson did date one of the students. Oh, uh, interesting. One of the medical students in reality. The issue at the time, of course, was that f for some reason, the law was that for medical dissection, uh, they were only allowed executed criminals. So that's the yeah. only thing that they could use. Yeah, there was no donating your body to science at this time. Right. And so people, uh, criminals weren't getting executed fast enough. No. So <laughs> people started digging up graves initially. And that, that was like a, a whole cottage industry is graves being dug up very soon after people had died. And then 
those were the bodies being sold to the medical college. Uh, and like you would make a lot of money doing this. Uh, someone. Yeah, I, they I called them they, resurrection men. Yeah. So Burke and Hare initially, they, they did not kill their first victim. Uh, he's someone who was just sick and died in, I believe it's Burke's rooming house. Yeah, that's right. Burke has like a boarding house or a rooming house or something, and he rents out rooms, I guess. Yeah. And, and just... this person owed him money but died. What a jerk. Is what Harris says. Exactly. So they figure, well, we'll we'll go sell the body and then we'll we'll make up the money that we lost from not getting paid for the rent, which is, you know, it's it's shady, but that's fairly reasonable. But the amount of money they make really uh, turns them around because they get paid seven <laughs> pounds. And that's a huge amount of money. Like in, in that 18... day, this is like, yeah, that's like getting like 200 bucks basically right more than that maybe it's, oh, it's got to be more than that because i wouldn't dig up a corpse for 200 bucks no and, and i mean it's like them getting an amount of money that they would not possibly get maybe in the course of a year so immediately it's like this is our new business and like even before this we see them attacking the med student leaving a pub one night like the the med student chris jackson we see him leaving the pub and them like pulling him into an alley and starting to beat him up. Like, oh yeah, right. They were going to kill him and uh, or, try to sell his body to begin with. Maybe, or, so, or maybe they were just going to mug him. Maybe, like clearly they're just jack of all trades. They're willing to do whatever they need to do to get their money. Uh, Burke, of course, no hair is played by Donald Pleasance, and yes. Burke is, as far as I can tell, played by Boris Johnson. <laughs> it's uh, George Rose. His hair reminds me of Boris Johnson, especially in the Johnson painting at the hair. end of. Yeah. yeah, yeah, totally. And he kind of acts like him. Yeah. Uh, so Burke is the one who does most of the killing. Uh, and it's it's quite notable the way he did the killing. It's They would call it burking them uh, and he would just suffocate them with his hand. Yep, because uh, if. If they obviously died from a blow to the head, well, then then you can't use that corpse. It's like, did you kill these guys? <laughs> no. But, you know, it turns out that the doctor that they sell to doesn't really care. It doesn't. Re yeah. Like, ultimately, we, we do learn very crucially that uh, Dr. Knox knows that he is buying murdered bodies and isn't all that broken up about yeah it. but but he believes it's worth it for, the, for like, the what does he say yeah for the science like what's more important one street girl or the advancement of science uh, of the medical profession indeed and he says that quite a bit but uh he changes his tune too a lot of everyone in this movie changes their tune at some point yeah well i i don't know if burke ever really does uh, I think when he died, because he <laughs> changed his tune from having one to not having one. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's about it. The, the, he's <laughs> he's making jokes up to the second that they pull the rope tight, though. Oh, he is completely unrepentant. Uh, so, like, I, I don't really have a lot of detailed notes or anything on this particular movie because, you know, I I watched it uh, previous. Yeah. To, anything so i don't know do you have any particular places you want to go talked about with uh, this movie um there there were a few things that stood out like 
like we we just basically skimmed over the whole story of the just movie, sort of more the or general less. like this the, sort of the setup we have these two serial killers and them killing a series of people yeah. and selling the bodies which is basically what happened they killed uh 16 people uh mm-hmm. and ultimately hair turned king's evidence and confessed uh so burke was executed and hair uh well in this movie he gets a big ironic uh comeuppance but in reality no one knows what's happened to him uh the oh, really? police so in reality the police escorted him out of edinburgh and uh, no one knows what happened after that oh geez there are there are rumors that and that he fell down a lie pit and was blinded and died. Uh, so <laughs> in the movie, they, they decide to do the more fun ending and have uh, someone actually physically blind him right after leaving the police station. Oh yeah. Mob justice. Got to get some mob justice. Now the, the, the performances of these two thugs, they're um, great. They are, they are great. so good. Like, them those two and peter cushing steal the whole show mm-hmm. like i could care less about any of the other characters but i was glued to the screen whenever whenever one of them was on i thought billy whitlaw was pretty good as mary patterson as well she was she was good like her performance was good i i hated her character she was very like cockney <laughs> uh, so, she, she's a very very loud very cockney character yeah, I almost was like, <laughs> I, I was happy when she, I was happy when she died because she was such a, so annoying. But then I was like, oh wait, that was a real person. Uh, hmm, well, I could be happy that the character died. Yeah, there, there's no telling what the the actual person was like. This Maybe is the, a yeah, yeah, exactly. Maybe uh, what's interesting, which they the don't apologize for. No, and like this movie <laughs> has uh unusual amount of nudity too like there like not a lot but there is nudity like we there, we yeah. see we see nipples and stuff which yeah, is yeah we see nipples in black and white 1960 very very unusual to see at this point in time like this movie was rated x when it came out oh really yeah this was a scandalous movie oh wow like at, at the time this was like the most horrifying movie ever made like just in terms of what they showed and what they were uh and like it's just really bleak you know the the there's pretty shocking stuff it's it's not only grave robbing but like we see them murder the these people and you know usually if you watch 50s movies when there's a murder you know it's going to be like one strike and someone's dead uh all of the victims here really fight hard oh yeah yeah none of th- these are not clean kills like especially when you see uh poor deft Jamie, who's sort of the star victim, uh, yeah. the victim that that uh, got them caught in reality. Yeah, um, he he really put up a fight. Yeah, uh, so this this deft Jamie character was a a lo- beloved local street performer that they killed after he knew too much. Yeah, right, because he he saw them. Uh, weekend at Bernie, trying to weekend at Bernie's. Uh, the Chris guy, because they Jackson. couldn't sell Chris Jackson because they couldn't sell him to Doctor Knox because he's one of Doctor Knox's students. Yeah. Oh, by the way, that he kills Burke and Hare kill the girl and her love interest, the fictional student. 
um, he sucks. Right. The and fictional he, student. But as I, I would say that's a very solid horror moment when he's in the classroom and he sees the body wheeled in. It's like, hmm. And he feels uneasy and he pulls back the the sheet to see that it's her. Yeah. And that's a, that's a very good horror moment. Oh, yeah. That's an excellent horror moment. Uh, and he knows immediately that it's Burke and Hare because he's seen uh, Knox dealing with them a few times. So he immediately goes to fight them. Yeah. And um, Knox has this other he's got like the this council of doctors that hates his guts um and it's and he, he has this one doctor friend or assistant or something who's like you know they're going to destroy you if they ever find any bit of evidence that they could possibly use and he's like huh well like what like i've been knowingly accepting the bodies of murder victims in order and looking the other way in order to teach my students for personal gain ha preposterous uh and i feel but like he, he- he doesn't end up going down though no he doesn't and yeah uh that's he he doesn't go down at all the council of doctors or whatever exonerates him well they, they don't wrong even, doing yeah they he, no charges placed against him ultimately yeah no yeah but like like the other medical doctors they don't uh do anything to him he goes into his lecture hall and everyone's cheering him and i'm just like that a few like days ago, the mob was wanting to rip his head off too, and now he's like a hero. He doesn't seem to understand how that happened. Well, it sort of depends on who you ask, because it seems like the average people were not happy that Knox did not get charged. Uh, it, this was a big, big case, and this was like landmark. Uh, but the big thing is at the time it changed the way bodies were procured for medical colleges and it changed the rules for that it created the volunteer system it uh, allowed bodies to be donated and things like that Uh, so like ultimately this did have some good outcomes but yeah yeah burke and hare were like the last people to do this. i do want to touch on the moment when knox realizes that everything he's done has been wrong oh that was great Uh, because because that's that's kind of a I think an important moment. Everybody found out that he's been accepting bodies from these two killers. Um, and he goes down, like he's walking down the street. Everybody hates him. And he's like, oh, well, I've done what I've done for science. It is good because science. And then he sees this little girl and gives her some candy and is like, would you like to go to my place? I have more candy. And the girl's like, no, you're, I can't go with you. You might take me to Dr. Knox. And he's like, ah, fuck. And I was like, oh, shit. Uh, and and he, he actually sheds a tear. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he's like, oh, a little kid basically called me the boogeyman. Yeah, it's, it's a very good moment. I, I mm-hmm. think the movie is very solid, and I like how committed to horror it is. Like, it is, it is genuinely horrifying in a way a lot of films from this period can't really uh, manage to be. <laughs> Like, this is the same yeah. year as Psycho, uh, and, you know, it, it feels more horrifying than Psycho, just in terms of the sheer scope of it. But, like, Psycho as well was huge and groundbreaking, and these both feel like they're contemporarily very 
pushing the boundaries of horror, respectively. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And because he got away with it, he was able to go on to build the Death Star. Yeah. Um, he, he found a new Burke and Hare in Darth Vader. It didn't end as well for him, but, you know, he, he, he made a good career. I think it's interesting that this movie kind of precedes the idea of the serial killer. Actually, yes, that that wasn't really a thing, even. This is three years after Ed Gein was captured or after Ed Gein was like known. So like it's still very early uh, and it's it's interesting to kind of see the psychology because the way we see Burke and Hare interact, we see that like they are into the murdering. Like it's not just about the uh, money. You you do definitely get the sense that they're also interested in murder, especially Hare. Hare seems to Hare seems to really really enjoy it. Yeah, he seems he, to relish the act, which I feel is sort of notable in that like it's it's not just about gain. Uh, it, it is about killing specifically. Even though he usually makes Burke do it and he just watches. Yes, uh, except for with except Mary for, Patterson. Yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, and I, yeah, I, I would say that this one as well is a, a strong recommend. It's a very dark movie. It's quite harsh. Yeah, but oh my god, I just I just watch a whole movie of just Burke and Hare doing things. Well, they're a lot like uh, from Pinocchio, the the fox and thing. Like there, there's the 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 ones who sell him to oh. the island where he is turned into a donkey. Right, right. The, well, yeah, they're like the whole trope of the thug who thinks he's smart and the thug who's definitely dumb. Yeah, um, I love their outfits, like what they think a millionaire would look like, but it's all ratty and destroyed. Well, hair, especially like he tries to do, it's like, he's trying to dress like Dr. Knox, but not doing it right. He's absolutely doing it wrong. Like he, he would look, I I just want to imagine what it would look like, what his outfit would look like if the film was in color. I bet he'd look so ridiculous and so amazing. A lot of colors, most likely. Oh man, uh, great great performances, um, great movie. Yeah, uh, I, I mean, I knew how the story was was going to end because I had listened to uh, a podcast on the actual Birkin hair just before watching it. But uh, yeah, it, it was a good movie. It had me, it had me guessing because I wasn't sure exactly how things were gonna were gonna pan out. True, like a lot of the time, especially with uh, classic true crime, like stuff from 100 years or more, you'll usually get someone's spin on it. Like a lot of the time, Uh you're not going to get a very realistic version, especially if it's an older film. But this one, surprisingly and uh, pleasingly very true to the known facts, although it does squeeze a few things a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Like... um... Well, the whole romantic subplot thing, although it did, like you said, it did set up that really good moment. Yeah. And I wouldn't even call it a romantic subplot because it's it it doesn't end with romance. It's really just. Yeah, you're right. It's more two characters who are to murdered. know your deadbeats, your deadbeats. Yeah. 
yeah it's it's uh it's harsh i liked it oh my god they're like the slap there's this is a slasher movie and they're just the slasher victims who we hate them because they're annoying and then they die and it's like yay but we also hate the slashers because they're not scary they're just really fun assholes just ghouls. Uh, Burke and Hare are fun, though. Burke and Hare are kind of fun, but that's interesting because, like, it is a fairly authentic, horrifying movie about a true crime, and it it doesn't varnish anything. It does show all of them as pretty evil and culpable, as well as, like, it, it's it's also not easy on Knox, but it does allow them to still be kind of charming in their grotesque way. They're they're funny. They're amusing. They're they're magnetic characters. They're they're good Hollywood monsters. Yeah. Yeah, I think I don't know. Are we are we done with the flesh and the fiends? I obviously recommend it. I believe so. Uh, so yeah. we'll move on to the stuff I watched last week. Uh, I got quite a bunch. Okay. Uh, because I uh, got my second vax shot on the weekend and I had a fever and I just laid on the couch and watched movies all day. So we got a bunch. Uh, so first I watched The Black Scorpion, which is a giant claw-esque 50s giant monster movie. This one obviously about scorpions that get giant uh, rather than uh-huh. ants. There is a big volcanic eruption in Mexico, uh, and out of the eruption come a bunch of giant screaming scorpions. Oh, they're screaming. Uh, yeah, for some reason, they all scream and roar all the time. <laughs> uh, the oh, like the giant Harry claw with his... Kind of like that. Forever. So the thing is, these guys did get Harryhausen. So Harryhausen oh. does do the scorpion effects, and they're pretty nice. The trouble is all of the other effects in the movie are absolute pants. Like, they're just trash. <laughs> really bad compositing, especially. Uh, and the lead guy, I feel like Larry Blameyer uh, in Lost Skeleton of Cadaver almost maybe based his character heavily on this specific guy. It really feels a lot like the scientist man character. Uh, I also watched X-Ray, also known as Hospital Massacre, which is an early slasher film, like from the first wave, 1980. Uh, okay. It's made by is and the Israeli director, uh, I, I think it's Boaz, Boaz Davidson, uh, who's best known for making Lemon Popsicle and Lemon Popsicle 2, which are sort of the American graffiti films of Israel. Oh, okay. Uh, so this was like his first American picture. And I don't think he spoke a lot of English. This is one of those movies that has that feeling of being written by someone who doesn't have a strong grasp of the English language. And it's played so big and so over the top that it's near self parody all the time, but it's always played totally straight. Just makes every character feel completely suspicious. They have to, uh, design the story so that you can never really be sure about any of the characters until someone kills one of them. So it just feels constantly ludicrous and absurd the whole time. Uh, but it's not supposed to. <laughs> so All it's right. just weirdly big. And I don't know, it, like it's, it's pretty simple. It's about this lady who goes to the hospital to get her x-ray results. 
Uh, and there's just she gets trapped there because of bureaucracy and also someone murdering people. Right. Uh, I also watched The Vampire Lovers, which is a version of Carmilla, classic lesbian vampire text. Uh, this is sort of a 70s twist on it where it's more directly about uh, the queer experience. We have a lot of stuff about sexual frustration. It's sort of a mix of gothic and psychedelic, which was kind of cool. Okay. Uh, I watched another version of Cam- Carmilla as well, uh, The Crypt of the Vampire. This is a 60, an early 60s version with Christopher Lee, uh, where he hires someone to research his family history to find out about vampirism through their past uh obviously this one's much more classically gothic it's before they could really have anyone be an openly gay character so you just have lingering looks Mm. uh i watched dog soldiers which is a somewhat more recent movie this is by neil marshall the guy who did the descent okay you remember the descent i think i've seen the descent with you right um maybe Maybe about uh, people descending into a cave, uh, like just going on like a cave exploration trip, but there's blind monsters in the cave. It doesn't sound familiar. Oh, man. Gotta see it. So good. Great. Okay. Uh, Dog Soldier's not as good. It's This is his earlier film. It's about some Scot- a special Scottish platoon in the Highlands. Uh, and they're attacked by a group of werewolves. Uh, so it's soldiers fighting werewolves just in the Scottish Highlands, in the remote wilderness. Uh, it's a little edgy. There, It's like it's very much of its specific early aughts period. Uh, it feels a little over the top. Some of the dialogue is kind of cringy, but it's fun. It's very silly. It's very ridiculous. Okay. Uh, I watched Best Friends, which starred... Oh, the Tommy Wiseau? <laughs> no, Best Friends, <laughs> not Best Fiends. Uh, this stars Gary from Ladybug, Ladybug, the main guy, the one who's screaming at the sky at the end. You know who I mean? Gary? Are you there? Oh, there we go. Uh, connection lost for a sec. Okay. Uh, so Best Friends stars Gary from Ladybug, Ladybug, uh, who is oh, okay. the main kid, you know, the one who's screaming at the sky at the end. Oh, yes. The one who's the the one who's yelling at the one who I think looks like Malcolm in the middle, but he doesn't. But and I never mentioned that in the show. So you don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, I guess, I guess I can kind of see it from there, although he doesn't grow up looking much like Frankie Muniz. Um, so it's him as a Vietnam veteran. It's him and his childhood best friend. They're on a road trip with their fiancés. Uh, and he just kind of can't grow up. And he sort of has a psychotic break about it. Oh. And uh, things go really far south. It's uh, it's it's dark. It's uh, an unusual exploitation flick. Uh, not really about PTSD, but a little bit about that. Uh, more just about kind of like toxic male relationships and uh, just uh, codependency and stuff. It was pretty interesting. Okay. I uh, also watched Mom, where 
it's it's about this guy whose mom becomes a flesh-eating monster. He's uh, an on-the-spot news guy, so he's involved with all of these stories, but he's trying to uh, move the story away from his mom, uh, <laughs> who's been bitten by Brian James. Uh, character actor you'd probably recognize if you saw, but I can't think of... Oh, he's he's... Um, he's the first replicant you see in Blade Runner, the original. He, he's oh, the, okay. he's Leon in Blade Runner. So he's right. the flesh-eating monster who infects Mom, the the border in her house. Uh, very silly, uh, big goofy okay. flesh-eating monster effects, uh, but pretty fun. It's uh, the the mom is the uh, is played by the lady who. Uh, was the mother-in-law in Eraserhead, and she's uh, one of the, she's the old lady who drops off Diane. I think it's Diane uh, in Mulholland Drive. Oh, uh, the you know you have the the elderly couple who are in the car with mm-hmm. oh, Betty, Betty, not Diane. Uh, she's she's in that as well. Okay. Uh, I watched Babo 73, which is the first one in the Robert Downey Sr. box set, who I also learned this week he just died at the beginning of July, and I totally missed that. That's such a bummer. Oh, yeah. Uh, so Babo 73 is the one that I talked about. It's the whiny president of the United States. I, I had misread that. It's actually the United Status in, in the film. Uh, it's sort of this surreal comedy where, like, he does work in the white house and he does have foreign relations and stuff but uh his office is just on a remote deserted beach where they just have a couple folding chairs uh and when they go to the white house we'll see some white house exteriors but when they're inside it's just this huge crumbling mansion (laughs) okay there's all right there's all sorts of weird stuff like it's very surreal you'll just have him like walking around and uh, one of his advisors will just be like in a trash can hurling abuse at him. Fun. It's good stuff. Okay. Uh, I watched Poison, which is the Todd Haynes one, which is three uh, different shorts. They're all sort of interwoven together to comment upon one another. So uh, one of them is a 50s sci-fi horror style story about this scientist who injects himself with his own thing and uh, just becomes a uh, infected with leprosy and starts infecting everybody else uh one of them's a fake tv documentary about a kid who sees his dad beating his mom and shoots the dad and then flies away it just flies out the window and is never seen again okay Uh, and then the third one is uh gay prison romance uh which is from a story by jean genet and it's pretty interesting, uh, the three of them together. It's uh, sort of uh, a lot of ideas about early 90s queer identity. Uh, and okay. pretty good. Uh, hmm. There, There's some issues with the transfer. It seems like some of the the TV doc parts uh, do not have the right framing. They, they feel kind of stretched. I think it might be an issue with the... the hmm. It's quite a recently released disc, so I don't know. Okay. Uh, and the last two I watched, I watched two from the Al Adamson box set. We've got Cinderella 2000, which is his crazy sexploitation musical set in the year 2047. Where Oh, uh, you were telling me about this one. 
Yeah, so it's like this dystopian future where sex has been outlawed, and you've got this big brother guy who appears on a TV screen and keeps shouting at people not to have sex, and then if they don't do, won't listen to him, he'll send this robot with a high-pitched voice into their room to come shriek at them and shriek fornication <laughs> fornication uh it's yes. a musical so you get sequences of everybody singing about how they've got the hornies uh there's a sex positive alien fairy godfather who comes down to earth to teach cinderella about sex uh he he uses his magic wand to turn a couple bunnies into humanoids with bunny heads to demonstrate sex for her uh, okay. <laughs> it's so right. crazy. Like, it's completely bizarre just from beginning to end. Uh, it's, I, I like, I don't know. I can't even explain it. It's Cinderella plus 1984, but like the Al Adamson way. So it's like incredibly lo-fi. It's very cheap. It looks ridiculous. It's crazy. Uh, and the other one, Nurse Sherry. Uh, this one I've seen a few times before. This one is his... He was trying to make a cult leader movie. So it's a movie about this cult leader who loses one of his uh, loses the uh, a young member of his congregation because he tells them not to take insulin and that he'll save him uh, and he won't need to take insulin and the kid dies. So, oh, yeah, that doesn't sound like anything that's happening right now. Right. And so he's he's going to he says he's going to bring the kid back to life so he has everyone around them praying and he's going to bring him back to life and he keeps promising it and nothing is happening and then finally one day uh he's having them all pray really hard and the body moves and uh the cult leader just has a heart attack and dies <laughs> so <laughs> yes. they, they take him to the hospital and his spirit infects one of the nurses and <laughs> From this point, it was supposed to be like a possession movie and the right. the nurse, you know, getting revenge uh, for the cult leader. The thing is, right. around this time, they started being a bunch of sexy nurse movies and these were making some good money. So Al Adamson figured maybe I could also make a sexy nurse movie. And most of the rest of the movie is just sex scenes with nurses. <laughs> Okay, all right. Occasionally um, with some some like really fakey gore, uh, and then <laughs> someone gets set on fire at the end. This is kind of fun. Okay. Uh, so uh, that's uh, all the ones uh, I watched. I almost oh. feel like I don't need to watch it. <laughs> you just got the best part already. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> Uh, so that's the those are the those are the selections for our secondary feature. Uh, what do you figure from those? All right. So what I'm I was looking at these and uh, gosh, it, it's a tough pick this time because I'm really eyeing that Cinderella 2000. But lesbian vampires, though. True, true. <sighs> what do I do? What do I do? Well, I, I could answer any questions you have about the films. I, I have I have some memory of both of them right now. What did you like better? Uh, Vampire <laughs> Lovers or Cinderella 2000? Or no, what do you think I would like better? Uh, of the two, I think probably Cinderella 2000 would be the more appealing of the ones. And probably is also just the one with more to talk about. I would say that okay. Vampire Lovers is kind of diffuse. 
I think it's more of an art film. Uh, I would say it is the better of the two movies, but it's also one that I don't know if there's a whole lot to say about it. You have just a, a lot of sort of gothic imagery and longing, uh, but it's it's maybe one that we would need to do a little bit more of an intensive discussion on, and it's okay. maybe not a second feature kind of picture, whereas Cinderella 2000 kind of is. All right, well, let's do that one then. All right, the so finally, that is. finally getting into the Al Adamson box uh, near the end, because uh, there's only two films left in that. Ah. Uh, I, I've been working at that one for quite some time. Uh, so the additions this week to the main stacks, uh, we have Hot Dog the Movie. It's an 80s teen ski and sex comedy. All right. It's one of those uh, we got we got to do a ski competition against the evil rich people and save oh, the evil team. Probably. You know, there's always the evil team, especially if it's a ski movie. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, I've, uh, there is Schizoid, which is a Klaus Kinski movie like uh, where he leads a therapy group, uh, which. I don't know how you would ever have Klaus Kinski leading a therapy group rather than just being in a therapy group. <laughs> uh, and all the women in the therapy group are being murdered. Could it possibly be the scary guy who runs the therapy group? I don't know. <laughs> uh, I've also added Satanico Pandemonium, which is a nunsploitation film. Uh, it has a typical nunsploitation plot. We've got a horny nun who's chosen by the devil to subvert her convent. Uh-huh. It's, it's, your, it's your basic satanic uh, or uh, nunsploitation plot. It's about right. has an amazing, okay. amazing cover where it's a nun lifting up her habit and there's just devil faces <laughs> under it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, from the okay. Christopher Lee Eurocrypt box set, the next one there is Castle of the Living Dead, uh, which obviously has Christopher Lee. It also has Donald Sutherland in two roles. It was his first film. Uh, it's this weird sort of comedic, psychedelic horror movie just about a creepy haunted castle. Okay. Um, adding Blind Fury, which is basically the Rutger Hauer remake of Zatoichi. He's American Zatoichi. He's a Vietnam vet. Uh, writing the same sort of wrongs with a cane sword. You know, same same sort of yeah. deal. Yeah, I, I, I'm looking at the cover. You showed me a picture of the cover for this or the poster. And it's just him with a big grin on his face and sunglasses, waving his sword around and a whole bunch of severed hands and guns. It's awesome. A really great poster. Uh, I've added, I bought a vampire motorcycle. <laughs> <laughs> which is about uh so there's an occultist gets killed during a satanic ceremony uh by a motorcycle gang so one of the motorcycles becomes possessed by a vampire and then someone <laughs> you know someone buys it and you know uh has to deal with that uh, i believe anthony daniels c3po appears as a priest who tries to exercise the motorcycle okay uh next in the robert downey senior box we have chafed elbows which is about some welfare layabout who's married to his mother and he's just wandering around really grungy 60s new york and meeting various weirdos 
Uh, also adding Killer's Delight, which is a new Vinegar Syndrome release. This is Ted Bundy-inspired slasher film about a guy just okay. driving an RV cross-country on a murder spree. Uh, supposed to be pretty good. And uh, okay. last one, uh, where we're at with the Al Adamson box, Carnival Magic, uh, which is the first of two children's movies Al Adamson made uh, at the end of his career. It's about a talking chimp uh, with a jealous lion tamer in the circus and a scientist teaming up to try to get it for medical testing and dissection. Ah, uh, so what do you figure for our next main movie for next week? Well, uh, I was looking at the list and again, couldn't decide. So I went to the random number generator and it picked two, which uh, according to at least the version of the list I have in front of me is a movie called Carol that I know nothing about. Uh, that is a Todd Haynes movie. A uh, fairly recent film. Uh, this is a queer film, uh, like his other. Uh, he's he's the one who did Poison. Okay. Uh, that I, that I was talking about, and it's about uh, it, it's a, a romance between Kate Blanchett and Rooney Mara in fifties New York. Uh, once, oh. And uh, I, I believe Kate Blanchett is an older married woman, uh, and Rooney Mara is just uh, someone who works in a department store. Okay. Cool. All right, cool. So next week... I'm into that. Yeah, uh, one I've been meaning to watch for some time. So next week, uh, Carol and Cinderella 2000, a very divergent pair of choices. (laughs) Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how this one plays out. All right. Thank you, everyone, for listening, and have a good week. Good night, or day. Good time zone.